Welcome to the Prez Paul podcast. This is a place for us to engage and hear honest and curious dialogue about Nazareth College and the people who are at the heart of who we are. In this episode, I am so excited to share big news from Nazareth College. We have formed the Institute for Technology, Artificial Intelligence and Society, affectionately known as ITAS. This is a a pioneering initiative in higher education to train future professionals to guide and develop technology toward equitable and just ends. It is a very unique offering in higher education and so important to the times in which we're living. AI touches most aspects of our lives from which books or flights to buy online, even what treatment we receive for cancer. Society has only just begun to understand the potential implications of these emerging technologies, and Nazareth is one of the only liberal arts colleges looking at the ethics behind artificial intelligence. So today, I'm very excited to dive into just how the new institute will help us lead into the future. So let me start by introducing our guests, and you'll find more information on our guests on the program notes. Yusuf George and Diane Oliver are the co-directors of Nazareth's Institute for Technology, Artificial Intelligence, and Society. Wendy Norris is Assistant Professor of Social Computing, and Chelsea Wall is Assistant Professor of Sociology. Both Wendy and Chelsea are founding faculty members in the new institute, and we are so pleased to welcome them to Nazareth College. And student Nate Ancona is a senior majoring in business management and a four-year member of the swim team. And I had the pleasure of watching the swim team this weekend perform. It was very exciting. So thank you all for joining me today. I'm really very grateful. So Yusuf, let's start with you. Let's start at the beginning. Can you explain what the Institute is all about? Sure, thanks Beth. So as you mentioned, I think the Institute is a really unique uh, initiative in higher ed where we're really focusing on promoting a just and equitable technological future. Um, What is unique about our institute is the real purposeful integration of ideas from liberal arts, sciences, business, and technology to bring together holistic programs for our students. And beyond that, you know, Nazareth has a real history of having deep ties with the community. And we see ITAS as being a regional hub for ethical technology in Western New York and, and in the wider community. On the academic side, we have three programs that we are that, that we will be offering. There's a Bachelor of Science in Ethical Data Science, a Bachelor of Science in Business, Artificial Intelligence, and Innovation, and in process right now is a Bachelor of Arts in Technology, Artificial Intelligence, and Society. And we think all three will give some different lenses on the ideas of ethics, technology, and artificial intelligence. I'm really excited about that, Yusuf, and I'm excited that we're bringing it really to the world. It's um, thrilling to see this initiative happen, and especially right now. You know, I'm I'm aware, Diane, that we're really setting ourselves apart from other AI programs at mostly larger tech-focused universities. So tell me a little bit about that distinction. Well, it's interesting. We we do often associate tech, uh, especially in Western New York, with places like RIT or Cornell or other places that have significant numbers of majors and offerings that are in those fields. Um, At Nazareth College, I don't think we would be the first place that people typically thought of when you thought, oh, I'd like to do some work in technology. And that's exactly the reason why we're doing work in technology. Um, Our 
our beginning of thinking about what we might do in this field, uh, we need to provide both engagement with technology as central to what we're doing, um, as well thinking about the current ways in which technology has influenced how we live, how we govern, how we educate. We can't not do this work. And so recognizing that, the question was, how might we do this work best? Uh, and in particular, how might we do this work the NAS way? So given the, the importance of technology in our world, uh, our shift was to focus on artificial intelligence. And the reason was artificial intelligence permeates every aspect of our lives in ways that most of us don't even recognize. And one of the things we're seeing, and you just have to glance at the news to see it, is that there are significant ethical issues and concerns in using artificial intelligence. So it can both move us forward and do things we couldn't have imagined um, you know, even a decade ago, and yet at the same time, going down the paths that it can open the doors for also means that there are issues that we are now confronting from an ethical perspective. So that became very clear. The fit for us with our mission of social justice and our attention to voices on the margins, this is really central to NAS. And so it made sense for us to engage artificial intelligence. We also know that it is not just an engineering or a tech-centered problem. It is not just technology creators who have the issues here. It's every one of us and also every one of us in all the kinds of different jobs and vocations and career paths that our students are going to be on. You're not gonna to get to avoid this question. Um, so when you think about who Nazareth College, you know, like who we are, what our history is, we are rooted in the liberal arts. We advocate for social justice and attention to those on the margins. And as Yusuf said earlier, we partner with those in the community. Thus you end up with a real focus on artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, and preparing our students for the ethical issues of both today's and tomorrow's technology. Uh, so in many ways, while people think of Cornell and RIT, in some ways Nazareth with its integration across a variety of disciplines um, and its long attention to social justice is a great fit as well. You know, I love that. I, to me, the power of this is in the integration throughout the college and engaging all learners, no matter what their interests are, in understanding the ubiquity now of AI. You know, it, it shocks me every time I turn around, there is some new learning that I do in terms of how AI is driving our everyday lives. And, you know, we educate change makers. We educate people who are going to go out and make a positive difference in the world. And no matter what path they choose, they need to understand the role of AI, the role of technology and how AI technology, you know, all sorts of innovations can be harnessed for good. And to anticipate those questions early on about how we can avoid harm. So it's really very powerful. Uh, you know, as I've gotten to know this initiative, it's really very powerful. So Wendy, you know, as I've been saying, AI is truly ubiquitous. It's in the headlines every single day. You probably all know that because I send you articles every day, often for new breakthroughs, but it's also about how sometimes harm can often, you know, we, we don't intend it to be, but there is harm that is associated as well. It can hurt marginalized populations, for example. So can you speak to that a bit? Absolutely. So um, one of the examples that I give my students um, quite often is Netflix dishing up a bad movie recommendation um, is one thing. Um, it's an entirely different matter when an algorithm is promoting disinformation and conspiracy theories in your Facebook feed um, because it furthers the company's profit 
um, motives over your information needs. And these biases have real consequences about how we look at people, events, and things in the world. So one of the things that um, is important to understand is that algorithms are sort of the backbone of this very advanced technology that powers machine learning, that's seeking out different patterns um, in data sets and artificial intelligence, it's actually making predictions about the world. And these algorithms are just sequential instructions that automate a series of true false questions um, to data. And they're then sort of triggering a, an action um, when they encounter certain data that they are trained to find. So going back to sort of our Netflix um, example, algorithms power your login to your account. So the code asks Siri questions, true, false, to confirm your email and your password. And if you get those things right, they're both true, you get into your account. With machine learning, we're using those algorithms to match your movie preferences against other people like you to recommend new shows to you. So like a true, you like dramas, false, you don't like action films. Um, artificial intelligence on the other hand is sort of predicting the popularity of a particular show and it alerts the Netflix um, crew to maybe provide extra resources to make sure that the movie that everyone wants to stream is going to be you know, seamless um, under high demand. So that's sort of the different ways that algorithms and um, machine learning and AI are sort of interacting with one another. Um, but bias can creep into this stack. Um, a lack of diversity on the programming team that doesn't consider um, different ways of interacting with technology. Um, it could be data that just doesn't fairly reflect the user. Um, it can also be situations where automation is just a really poor substitution for nuanced human decision-making. Um, so it's important to reveal where these biases occur so that we know where to intervene. And I was talking recently with um, Chelsea and Yusuf and Diane about wouldn't it be really cool to take um, what Congressman John Lewis used to encourage us to do is to make good trouble. Um, and what if we applied that to um, technology and into a perspective of making it work for all of us? That's really interesting. You know, one of the things that has struck me so much in recent times, I use a news aggregator. So I really love to read all, all different kinds of things from all different kinds of sources. And so I use an app that aggregates that and delivers to me a news feed. And what I realize is that it is smart, right? So it is learning from the kinds of things that I look at and starting to create bias. I've actually been manipulating it so that I'm trying really hard to not let it create that bias. Because when you think about what's happening in our world today, you know, if, if we are just continually being fed what we believe and we're not being fed other perspectives, it's just contributing to the divisiveness that we're living in society. So I've become, I've almost become a gamer with that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to interrupt it as best as I can. I'm not sure how well I'm doing, but I'm really aware of it. 
So one of the things I love about the ways that we've been talking about the AI Institute is this notion of understanding the promise as well as the peril of AI and other technologies. And, you know, I think we have to be careful about not sounding like Luddites. You know, we're not anti-technology at all. In fact, you know, in many ways, we are embracing technology in all sorts of ways, but we have to do that in a smart way. So Chelsea, can you talk with us a little bit about this dual perspective of looking at technology as both promise and peril? Absolutely, and thank you for having me. Um, so yes, there can absolutely be uh, amazing solutions driven by technology, emerging technologies like artificial intelligence and um, algorithmic models, but the social world is very complex, um, uh, difficult to predict. So the social world often doesn't follow the kind of patterns that mathematical models are actually trained to identify. So what can sometimes be a problem is when we use these emerging technologies as tools to address some of our most enduring social problems. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about an algorithm um, that Virginia Eubanks wrote about. She wrote a book called Automating Inequality. And um, she profiled this algorithm that was put into place in Pennsylvania that was used to assist caseworkers in identifying whether children were at risk of neglect. So this algorithm would be used to help caseworkers decide whether or not the state should intervene on behalf of a child experiencing neglect. This is a really risky proposition for a human or an algorithm because a mistake on either end is likely to result in serious trauma and family disruption. Um, so the way this algorithm worked is it used historical data on families who had already interacted with public services to predict the risk of neglect. So if a family had um, used a free workshop or called CPS for help or had interactions with police officers, this all generated more data on them that was used by the predictive model in order to identify whether or not a child was at risk. Now, in stark contrast, most affluent families don't actually get any data generated about them when they reach out for parenting help. So um, if um, a parent uh, from an affluent background pays for therapy or goes to an AA meeting or um, pays for home health care, none of that gets registered as data with the state. Whereas poor families, that is the case. Them reaching out for help comes at the cost of their private information. So uh, more interactions with public services led to a higher risk. And there are a few problems with this, as you can probably imagine. One is that there are very few good proxies for neglect, um, and the algorithm relied on factors like community referrals or foster care placements, signs not necessarily of abuse, but certainly signs of poverty. So the algorithm regularly confused parenting while poor with poor parenting. Um, and the algorithm wasn't the only factor used, but it was highly influential. The technology has this effect of appearing neutral or unbiased, so when a caseworker received the risk score from the algorithm and it contradicted their assumptions about the case, they questioned themselves and they wondered, oh, maybe the model knows more than I do. It's like that the model had all the information that they had. It was just operating by a logic that they were not operating by. So while algorithms and mathematics in general can do many things, predicting child abuse is not one of them. So this is just one example of the ways that these technologies have been put into place in my opinion, um, without long-term consideration of what the impacts might be. Um, so while algorithms and uh, AI systems are incredible at identifying patterns in historic data, we should be very cautious about applying them to try to predict social outcomes. So I think this kind of sticky issue is exactly why it's so important to have a multidisciplinary approach to emerging technologies, 
like the one we're developing here at NAS, because we need to train up not only technologists, but also social workers, nonprofit administrators, um, researchers, um, you know, members of the business community. These are all important stakeholders in what AI can offer us, but also what its potential risks are. That's a really powerful example. And I agree with you, the interdisciplinary, and as we were talking about the integrative approach, becomes so important. I mean, you can feel the importance of the humanities, the importance of social sciences, the importance of science, the importance of all different kinds of professional fields. You can feel the impact of all of that. So that is something that Nazareth really can uniquely do. Nate, I'm, I'm really excited that you're joining today. I know that you are the face of the future. So we are just starting these, these programs and we're really excited about the prospective students that are contacting us with interest in these. You're here and you've already been in, experiencing some of the courses that make up these majors. So can you share uh, what, what classes have you taken? Maybe share with us a really cool assignment that you've worked on. Uh, I'm actually taking three of the courses that they're uh, giving right now. I'm taking AI and machine learning, um, Professor Norris, and also programming, problem solving, also Professor Norris, and then technology society, which is being taught by Professor Wall. And I actually found a lot of, I was really intrigued by it back. I would say I got intrigued by computers maybe when I was a freshman in college. I had an internship. Um, at a technology company. And I sat in Excel all day, every day. And I worked underneath the CPA. And for days she hadn't worked for me, she actually gave me a CPA level uh, course for Microsoft Excel. And it was about a 30 hour course. I would take it home. I would work on it every single day. And ended up passing it. So technically I am CPA certified in Excel. I'm like, wow, that actually wasn't that bad. I kind of like computers. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I thought it was more accounting because I was an accounting major and then I moved forward and my roommate actually went to Brockport. Um, he was taking a programming course as well, which he was learning Java and C++. And I would sit with him some days when I didn't have homework and I'd just look over the class and I'm like, wow, that actually looks really interesting. And when I was registering my courses this past semester and I saw all these courses pop up, I'm like, wow, I would love to try it too. Like I got really intrigued by it as well. And for example, um, in Professor Norris's classes, we're learning about Python right now, which is something he didn't get to learn about. So it's a fresh start. And I think most fun I've had, honestly, studying ever was learning about Python, because it's not just like learning in the classroom, you take it home and do nothing, but you actually have to watch YouTube videos and figure stuff out on your own to actually understand what you're doing a lot of the time. Then also in Professor Wall's class, I am able to read about what other companies are doing and how they're using AI to advance their learning and use data to advance themselves in business. For example, with Amazon, yeah, I know that uh, Jeff Bezos probably isn't the best employer, but he is one of the smartest men in the world. And the way he uses data to completely blow up his company in the past 10 years is mind boggling to me. And I would love to be able to do something like that and understand how data can also drive our generation to go even farther. Wow, that is so cool. I have to say, you are such a great example as I have come to learn and appreciate um, the, the really the fulsomeness of a Nazareth education. You are such a great example of that, starting with an internship like that in your first year and then continuing and adding new and different kinds of experiences. That's so cool. And how great that you've been able to take these three courses. You're, you're uh, 
I, I think we'll call you an honorary major. How's that? <laughs> I could go all over again. I would, I would tell you, I would start this right now if I could. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your sharing that. So Yusuf, I'm going to bring it back to you and have you talk a little bit more about how experiential learning, which Nate did such a great job of showing is so core to what we do here. Can you tell us a little bit about how that's going to play a big role in this, in this program for our students? Yeah, and I should give big thanks to Nate for teeing us up. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the advantages that we've had is that we're building these programs from scratch. And so we've been able to think about what will be the most impactful for our students. And as a result, we've integrated experiential learning throughout. Um, you know, throughout all of our courses, students are going to be engaged in, you know, posing questions, investigating, uh, experimenting, solving problems, uh, reflecting on the whole process. I mean, that's just baked in in all of our classes. And of course, beyond that, we'll have all sorts of fantastic internship experiences locally, regionally, even nationally, we hope, where students are engaged in these sorts of problems, both in the public and private sector, nonprofit, government, in the corporate environment. I think that the sort of opportunities that our students can have here are fantastic because there are not enough companies doing this kind of work and they need to be thinking about it. Um, beyond that, one of the things that we're really excited about in our capstone course we're hoping to have teams, interdisciplinary teams from all of our different majors working together as consultants for companies or organizations in the community, solving some of these you know, gnarly tech ethic problems that uh, they're not equipped to deal with. So we're really excited to get that started. That's really cool. I, I have to say, as I've been talking with people about this in the community, the light bulbs that you see going off in, in business leaders in all different sectors um, and realizing, wow, the questions that we're actually not asking. And so much of what we're talking about here is really having a deeper understanding of the questions we need to be asking. So Diane, I'll turn to you to uh, close us out in this conversation. You know, we believe very much in uh, setting our students up for a wonderful world of, of work and impact in their lives. And so for their life's work, what kind of jobs await students in these programs? Well, it's interesting when you think about the array of programs that Yusuf outlined earlier, the array of career opportunities kind of fit that same kind of expansive level. So you can have folks who are going to graduate prepared to be project leaders, um, in leading, leading machine development learning teams, uh, but also maybe leading uh, uh, different areas within a business that are looking at deploying AI and how they might do that and what issues that might raise and, and what promises there. There's a lot of potential for artificial intelligence and machine learning to help businesses do their work better. Um, but as we're noting, there are challenges. And so we're gonna have graduated the folks who will go into team and project leadership with that kind of background and experience. We're also gonna have folks who are data scientists um, who are going to look at how we take this amazing trove of data that exists globally that we know can help us answer questions, predict possibilities to help businesses, not-for-profits, government, policymakers succeed in thinking about doing their work. And we're going to have graduated the folks who both know how to do that. They can, like Nate, program in Python or R or, um, or use other tools to utilize that data, but they'll also understand how to pull that data together and make sense of it. So they could be data scientists, people who are data analysts or visualizers. And those folks exist across the spectrum. Um, folks in public health need to know this right now in the middle of a pandemic. 
as they're trying to, to use data to figure out how best to roll out a vaccine or to see how, um, to see how the disease is traveling. Uh, and so we will have folks who will understand both, again, as you pointed to earlier, the promise and the peril of our utilizing data to do that and be able to do that well. We'll also have people who are, who are prepared to look at the user experience in engaging artificial intelligence to ask the question of bias um, or discrimination that may occur in it in order to make sure that what we're doing is for the good. Uh, again, I wanna reemphasize re even more than we already have, there's a lot of good potential and how technology can help us as we move forward as a society, as a, as a world, uh, but only if it's done well. We've all seen over a long history how things, these things run amok. We want our Nazareth grads to go into careers and to be influencers who can make a difference in how we use this technology going forward. And so majors can do that, so can our minors. We are anticipating that we will have a lot of folks um, who major in one field, but who minor in these areas who are engaging these questions and taking them out into a broad array of career possibilities. That's so cool. I'm ready. I'm ready to sign up for the majors. I really appreciate you all for joining me today. This has been such a great conversation. I've certainly learned a lot and I'm sure that our listeners have as well. And I'm grateful to you, our listeners, for joining us in exploring the wonders of the Nazareth College community. There are so many. So coming up in the next Prez Paul podcast, how many of you know about the amazing social justice trips NAS offers? In non-COVID times, they include an annual civil rights journey to historical sites in Alabama, Mississippi, and Tennessee. Our guide for that trip is coming to Nazareth for a special fellowship from March 21st to 26th. And so I'm really excited to welcome our guide, Reggie Harris, and students who have been on the life-changing journey to talk with us about how it empowered them to be advocates for civil rights and to do work against injustice everywhere. I'm really excited about that conversation. I think we'll all be inspired by that. And then coming up, we've got other conversations scheduled too. So we need to understand music. You know, music is such an important part of our world. It's also a really important part of a Nazareth education. And we've been unstoppable here in terms of musical education in a time when all of a sudden a lot of, of culture and performance has stopped because of COVID. Why is it so important that we have kept going? And then I'm going to welcome a group of athletes here to talk about the student athlete experience, uh, such an important, well-rounded experience. And I think Nate illustrated that really well for us today. Uh, it is a way to be very beautifully, fully human. And that's really what we're all about. That's what this conversation has been all about. Thank you for listening. Thank you.